Hello, this is Brian Wampler with another episode of the Chasing Tone Podcast, a podcast where we generally talk about guitars, amps, effects, as well as a healthy dose of off-topic, well, sometimes interesting off-topic discussions. Joining me today is me. It's only me. I'm solo today. I'm so low today, I can't pull myself off the ground. Um, but here's what I want to do. I want to do a uh, sort of a Q&A. It's on, a, on our Facebook group called The Wampler Tone Group. It's a completely original name. I'm well aware of that. Uh, I did kind of uh, just a question. Like, hey, I'm doing a, a solo podcast. I need topics. I need, I need questions that you all need answered, especially in light of everything going on right now with, uh, with the COVID virus or the coronavirus, whatever you want to call it, the corona thingy that's uh, wreaking havoc on in the world. But we're not going to discuss that. We're going to discuss something fun, which is uh, answers to your questions. So I'm going to just jump right in. I have no idea how long this is going to take because I don't know if I've ever really done one of these types of podcasts at all. I don't think I have. But we are today, so here we go. Um, a common contributor to uh, not only the group and a lot of questions to the podcast. Nick Scott asked a uh, a question. We won't call it good, bad, odd, or anything. It's just a question. Nick asks, "Where did I put my car keys?" Nick, uh, you they're on your key ring, and uh, you've left your key ring wherever you had it last. That's where it is. Thanks for your question. Uh, I, uh, let's see, Steve Garvey asks, he says, uh, I have a rather large pedal board, 12 pedals, and I am having trouble finding the right place for my Univibe and a chain. It doesn't seem to like playing with others. Well, Steve, this is a, um, this is a question that I get quite a bit in some way, shape or form. Sometimes it's, where do I put my chorus pedal? Sometimes, where do I put my phase pedal? I mean, it, it's all over the place. Where do I put my delay, my compressor, blah, blah, blah. And the generic answer that is really accurate is wherever you want to put it. There's no right way to do it. There's no, um, there's not like one particular place that's going to sound best ne necessarily because there is no best. There's no such thing as a best. It's just kind of what you like. Now, that said, there are places that others have put it that you may like the sound of. So a common place to put it would be before dirts or distortions or drives. Now, you don't have to, but that's where a lot of people do it. And I think a lot of people do it that way because... The Univibe is sort of a fairly old effect, and it's made popular popular on a lot of recordings, generally in front of a dirty amp. Uh, Bridge of Size, have you ever heard of that song? Um, dirty amp, Univibe going into it. And that's the sound you get. Now, if you like that sound, then that's what I would go for, but you don't have to do it that way. And you may be wondering, well, what if I have like four or five different overdrives on my, or drives, distortions, fuzzes, whatever on my board? What about then? Well, again, there's, there's really like no good answer. There's not like a right or wrong answer in this situation. It just kind of is what it is. And, um, you know, you, you might want to sandwich it between drives because maybe on some stuff you want the sound of that Univibe after a drive pedal. 
And on other things, you want it before a drive pedal. So you could sort of sandwich it in between if you want. Um, you do ask, you say it doesn't seem like it seemed to like playing with others. Uh, that's probably due to impedance. And that's a sort of vague term to say some pedals don't play well with others due to this impedance. And I'm trying to, fi I'm trying to actually figure out a really good way to describe what impedance is. Um, without drawing diagrams, it's really hard for me. Let's just say that most pedals like to have, um, they don't want a very, um, hmm. how do I put this? <laughs> well, I'm having trouble describing it. So let's say you have a fuzz. All right. This, this might be the best, the best way. Uh, a fuzz is going to be a very high output impedance, meaning a lot of things that come after that can affect it. So if you have a fuzz and you have something that has a very low input impedance, well, then that can kind of affect it and it may not work right. It may just simply not sound that good. Um, so the problem is on a lot of pedals, there's not really, most people don't put like a specification on exact impedances. Some do. Some don't really depends on what pedals you're getting and from where. I think like a lot of, if I recall right, on the manuals and on um, like Boss products, a lot of standards, it may have the input and output impedance. Um, but then you know a lot of smaller builders, you may not, it may not. You know it may just be kind of a quick manual that says here's how to set, here's what the controls do, and don't run too much voltage into it. And if you have any questions, email us. So it really depends. Um, I, I think on the um, on the particular Univive, if you're having a problem with it working with something else, I my go-to trick really is throw a buffer in between there. If you're like, let's say um, you got a fuzz that's just not working right with the Univibe, throw a buffer in between it. That can help quite a bit. Yes, that can change the sound of the fuzz as well. So a, a trick you can use in that situation, if you want to, is put a buffer and then a volume pedal after that buffer. And that can sometimes help. Not always. It's not going to be exactly like not having a buffer, but it can help a little bit. But yeah, I mean, there, there are some give and takes in that situation, no matter what. All right. And then um, Daniel Williams says, uh, what's the difference in true bypass versus buffer, Daniel? <laughs> I love you, Daniel. But I don't know if we want to go through this again. Like we've, we've talked about this quite a bit over the years. And I think it's been discussed to death at this point. But for those who may be new, maybe, maybe you're new to this whole thing. So I'm not going to assume that you've already heard it and, and that you're just messing with me. Could be. But maybe not. But let's say let's say you really don't know. So just a quick ideal on 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 true bypass versus buffered. True bypass is a term that was used generally in marketing years ago because a lot of the pedals did not have this absolute bypass, meaning the signal completely gets routed, clear and free of anything else to do with the circuit. It literally goes from the jack through the switch, and then out the other jack when it's off. 
a lot of pedals before that didn't do that. They the input of the of the actual pedal may have still been in the signal path, which could cause problems. It could cause impedance problems. It could cause general degradation of the bypass problems, unless it was buffered before. That's where uh, you know companies like Boss and others, Ibanez, have buffered bypass, which is still. Um, it's not a true bypass. There's there are things in the circuitry at all times, but it's providing a buffer even when it's off, and that uh, that helps in some situations. Kind of going back to uh, Steve's question before that, if you have a fuzz after a buffered bypass, you're going to change the sound of that fuzz. Generally, depending on the type of fuzz, depending on a lot of different things, but let's just blanket statement fuzz face type thing. You're going to change the sound of it a little bit. It's not going to respond the same way either. Um, but overall, the, a buffered bypass is is not... It's still going to have things in the signal path, but since it is buffered, it's not going to make that much of a difference. Generally speaking, depending on what type of circuitry is in place. I have seen some badly buffered bypass pedals. I can't mention names, I'm sorry. But for the most part, especially like a lot of boss stuff, it's pretty good. A lot of Ibanez stuff, it's pretty good. Um, nothing to complain about there. And um, yeah, so anyways, I, I I personally don't put a huge amount of stock in into whether a pedal is buffered or not buffered. I, I generally don't want everything buffered because at some point you start adding some noise and you do get a little bit of degradation in sound because it's, Active circuit after active circuit after active circuit after active circuit, and so on. And it, it can cause some problems. But uh, for the most part, you know, I, I wouldn't sweat it too awful much. All right, and moving on, Eric Lindblad uh, asks, he said, I'm really interested in the new Wampler plugins and home recording right now. I suspect, I suspect a lot of people are doing more of this thing right now. So... You may not know, I don't recall if Blake and I talked about this on a podcast or not. I'm not really sure. I don't recall. A lot of things have been happening late recently. Um, but we are in the middle of releasing just a, just a handful of plugins for, um, for folks to use if you want to, especially since most of us are stuck at home. Um, so we wanted to really get some out there for people to use. Uh, no charge for, the, for these few plugins we're going to do. The problem with anything like this, it's it's a new it's a new thing. It's not something that we've been testing for months. So we find we well what I did is I went on the Wampler Tone Group and said, hey, I need a handful of people with different types of operating systems and computers and you know all that di different setups completely. I need some some people to test this in completely different environments than what we have, so we could try to work out some of these bugs. So we did that. We're getting ready to release round two of that. So we're going to try to work out these bugs first. Hopefully we can get that done within a week or so, and then uh, we'll, we will release them to everyone. So hang tight. It's coming. All right. Uh, scrolling down here, there's a question about, um, what is that show? The Tiger King. I don't really watch Netflix that much. I know it, I know everyone's watching it. I just, to be honest with you, I'm just not really that into that sort of thing. I'm just, I don't really, not really into movies. I don't really watch shows necessarily. I'm more into YouTube and 
informational type stuff. I like information. Uh, last, For example, last night I'm laying in bed getting ready to go to bed and I'm watching a YouTube video about um, how to use Amazon's API to extract data. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff I like. And um, I know that's probably boring to a lot of people, but that's what I like. Oh, and I also like Xbox. So anyways, can't help you on the, on the Tiger King thing. All right, let's see what else we have. Um, Blake Lawson asks, how do you and your team go about naming products? Ah, uh, man, that's a big one. So it's 2020 right now. 2008, 2006, 2005, whatever that era was that was basically just me. That was me naming him. That's why you have like the Plextortion and uh, the Plexi Drive um, and the Superplextortion, which was extremely confusing because the Superplextortion and the Plextortion were two different circuits. It wasn't like a deluxe thing, it was just two different circuits. I, it, not my forte naming things. Now, with that said, I have had a hand in helping name things, but I've, I've found since then that. It's probably better to get people around me who are much better at naming products than I am and maybe give them a hand or some ideas as we're brainstorming, but it need not be completely on my shoulders, not my forte necessarily on naming products. Uh, Deceive, could you get enough toilet paper for all your employees and family? Uh, you know, funny that you mentioned that, Deceive. Uh, and I say, like literally, his name is Dusty. Um, I, we still have a problem finding toilet paper. We have toilet paper right now, currently, but for the past month, we've been looking for more toilet paper. So no, no, we really don't have enough. And I'm honestly wondering why on earth? Why? Please tell me, somebody, please tell me why. Are people still buying all the toilet paper? Really, some of us are tired of wiping our bums on the grass outside. And uh, my wife Amanda is tired of spraying me down with the hose. She really is. So, you know, maybe I need to do some sort of trade. Like, we'll trade pedals for toilet paper. You know, we have a given pedal. And I just trade you for a stack of toilet paper. I don't know. There's got to be something there. But no, we actually do need toilet paper and paper towels in Martinsville, Indiana. So, you know, if you happen to work for someone that makes toilet paper or anything like any sort of paper products, it'd be a really handy, uh, really handy contact for me to have. So, you know, maybe call me. Uh, Daniel Williams. Uh, there's going to be some questions that People ask that I just don't have the knowledge in. This may be one of them. Probably so. This is more of a question for someone who is like the pickup master, like Frank Falbo or someone. Uh, Daniel Williams asks, how do different pickups affect the signal coming into pedals? More specifically, drives. Mm, well, a pickup is basically like a little microphone that's picking up the, the sound from your strings, more or less. Um it does that based in an analog way. So it's taking that, that small little signal and 
running it through an amplifier to boost it up. More or less, very overly simplified. So I think the biggest thing for me as someone that makes guitar pedals is that sometimes, it seems to be more common nowadays, that some pickups are just way too hot, way too hot. And um, uh, like I have a, a PRS SE that the stock pickups way, way too hot. I mean, Paul, I love your stuff. Your guitars are beautiful, but the pickups just aren't, if they're too hot like that, they don't work with a lot of drive pedals. It's it, you oversaturate that. Now, if you're running into your, if you're running into a tube amp, then that can be great. It's almost like having a boost on, you just get more gain. Um, and it, and it can sound wonderful in that way, but with some pedals, especially if they're very sensitive to the input signal coming in, which generally you want them to be, if you want the pedal to be reactive, you, it just gets sputtery. And so what you end up doing is like a video I did on this, lowering your pickups down. So the sound is not magnified as much or simply back the volume off on your guitar. Just literally back the volume off on your guitar because you're, you're oversaturating that stage and it's not doing what it needs to do in the most, um, you know, in the best way. So yeah, that's, that's the biggest problem I have. Other than that, you know, it's, I really don't have too much of a problem. Um, you know, single coils generally aren't too awful powerful. I mean, they can, you can, they can be wound that way, but, um, generally it's not too much of a problem with single coils. And, and most, most humbuckers that I've ran across, well, at least the ones that I like aren't really hot. In fact, I think a better tone actually comes from a pickup that's not that hot and with a pickup not that close to the string. Uh, kind of a quick note, you may or may not know this. If your pickups are real close to the string, you actually lose sustain because those magnets are kind of stopping that string from vibrating. So, yeah, there's that. All right, let's move on here. Um, Big question from Nathan Lisa Napier. Uh, well, actually, his name's Nathan. His wife's name's Lisa. Uh, but Nathan Napier um, says, I'd like a better understanding of how different types of drives, in parentheses, like an op amp, germanium, LED clipping, etc., how those drives interact with each other when stacking. What's a good way to set a bass tone and let them play well together? Also, how to diversify your drive section. I tend to have a particular taste and they all end up sounding the same after I set them individually. How to decide if a pedal is better for rhythm or leads. That's a, that's a lot to unpack there, Nathan. I mean, good questions, really good questions, but a lot to unpack. I'll do my very best. Um, hopefully I don't confuse people and hopefully I don't get up way too much in the weeds, but I'll give it a try. So better understand, let's start this step by step, a better understanding of how different types of drives interact each other when stacking. Uh, so let's see, like when we talk about op amp drives, there's a number of ways to do an op amp drive. So this is a, it's kind of hard to, to simplify and really boil it down to like a three point process. But I mean, with an op amp drive, let me think of two off the top of my head. Like we have the tube screamer, of course. That's an op-amp drive, overdrive. And then at the far end of that, we have the, the metal zone, which is an op-amp drive. Op-amp based is just a lot more op-amps and a lot more stuff in the signal path. 
So even though they sound completely different, they're both op-amp drives. And then you get germanium, and the term the germanium is used in a way that I actually find fairly frustrating because a true germanium drive would be using a germanium transistor, um, often like what you would see in, in, in some fuzzes, but not always because just because it has a transistor or a germanium transistor does not mean it's a fuzz. What makes it a fuzz is how you set it up. But to kind of, again, I'm getting off point here. Um, the ger germanium drive, some people will take a regular op-amp-based circuit, for example, and put some germanium diodes in that circuit, and not mentioning any names, and then call it a germanium drive. Now, that's, um, in my humble opinion, silly and misleading. I don't like it. I don't like it personally as, um, I don't know, as a player and as someone who makes pedals. I would rather rather not confuse the two. Germanium diodes simply just clip the di clip the signal a little bit, a little bit differently. Not drastically different. Um, there's other diodes that clip really similar, sim similar, similar to silicon diodes. It just it's 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 not. It's it's turned into kind of a buzzword and kind of a marketing terms. So I don't, you know, it's it gets a little sticky there. But I'm going to assume we're talking about germanium transistor-based dirt, uh, LED clipping. Which again, are we soft clipping? Are, you know, is this is this LED clipping in a tube screamer? Is this LED clipping in um, I don't know a clon? Is it LED clipping in a metal zone? A DS1? Like all these different things. It really depends, but I'll try to unpack this as best as I can. Op-amp circuits, when done properly, paying attention to impedances, etc., they generally interact with each other pretty pretty good. Generally not a problem. Um, there are exceptions. There are op-amp-based circuits that the output impedance is way screwy. good example would be the Marshall Governor the original Marshall governor. There's so much going on the output of that that it just makes the output impedance screwy and it doesn't work. It, it, well, other pedals will interact with it too much. And so I'm not a big fan of that. If I, in fact, when we did the Plextortion, uh, well, I revised that several times, but the newest version of the Plextortion, I changed that so the output impedance was fixed, uh, even though it was, was based on the governor-based topology. So I don't, you know, I don't, not a big fan of that. And also, in, and not to as large of an extent, but even like the Blues Breaker, for example, uh, the Blues Breaker type circuit, you have, uh, let's see, you have an, and I'm trying, I'm not looking at the schematic, but off the top of my head, you have the, it's an inverting op amp, and then you're going through a tone control, and then another low pass filter. So two different low pass filters, one of those being variable. Um, a variable meaning that's the knob that you move around to move that low pass filter to make it brighter or not as bright. And then a, a set low pass filter or, uh, like on the King of tone, which is kind of based around that circuit. That's yet another variable low pass filter. And then a tone, then a volume control. So more, more, um, more resistance there. And that, that can kind of affect things coming after it. Not as to the extent of the governor, which has that wacky three-band EQ and a volume control and a low-pass filter, but still, 
I, uh, I prefer to put a buffer on the end of those uh, just, just to kind of make everything play nice. Now, on a germanium circuit, on a germanium transistor circuit, again, this is all, this is all, um, <laughs> I'm kind of stereotyping a bit because you can do a germanium circuit a million different ways. Well, not a million, but multiple different ways. And it, this may or may not apply. But I'm going to say, assume a typical fuzz based germanium circuit, it's generally going to want to see um, more of a lower impedance coming into it. Not when I say it, it wants to see it, it's going to react more like what we're familiar with whenever a lower impedance, like the one coming from your guitar pickups, and not, uh, oh, I'm sorry, a lower impedance. I flip it around. Higher impedance, like from your guitar uh, pickups, versus something from a buffer. When you put a buffer in between it, then it's not going to respond the same. It, it just, it's just different. So in that situation, yeah, you may have a little bit of problems putting um, something that's, that has a low impedance output like an op-amp based circuit generally and something with a germanium transistor after that, which would be generally be wanting that higher Im impedance um, in order for you to really, you know, think it is operating normally. So you, you might have some interaction there. LED clipping, again, I mean, not really, doesn't really make that much of a difference whether it's LED clipping or silicon clipping or germanium clipping. It's all dependent on what else is going on in the circuit because that's, that's just clipping that signal. So not a big deal. I think the bigger deal is um, if you have one pedal going into another, that first pedal, if it's up too loud, you can have some problems. If you have too much gain on it, it can get mushy, but maybe you like the mush, you know, again, there's no rules. Maybe you like the mush. So anyways, that's, uh, that's what I would say about that. Hopefully that's someone answered. Uh, what's a good way to set a bass tone and let them play well together? He goes on. Um, with a lot of things guitar tone related, there's just no rules. There really isn't. I mean, a good way to set a bass tone is to find a bass tone you like. Um, I, it, I can't really tell you what a good bass tone is because it's kind of like, it's kind of like asking me, well, what's a good meal? I may say, well, you know, a good meal is, um, pesto chicken. Yeah, that's a great meal. And you may say, well, I don't like pesto. Well, then that's not a good meal for you. <laughs> so I would find a tone that you like, set that as your bass tone. Maybe it's light clipping, you know, maybe just, just a little hint of drive, maybe a little bit of roundness going on. Um, again, depending on what guitar you're using, depending on what amp you're using. An example of what I mean, if I'm using a Strat into a Fender, I'm probably going to leave a Tube Screamer on low on a lot of the time because I want a little bit more of a round tone. There's others that completely disagree with me, and they want that that stratty, quacky, bright tone of a Strat into a, a, a Fender Blackface style amp. So it's just all personal tastes. Um, how to diversify your drive section? These again, these are all questions from Nathan. From Nathan, um, man, really diversifying your drive section is just trying stuff, trying different combinations of things, trying different pedals. Um, he says he I he says I tend to have a particular taste. They all end up sounding the same. You know that's um, that happens quite a bit, especially as a player gets a little bit more experience. They tend to set things up to what sounds good to them. And if if a particular sound 
is just what is natural to them. That's kind of what they go to. Um, kind of going back to the to the um, to the example example I used a minute ago. If you're used to a tube screamer type tone, something more round, into a, a Fender Black Face style amp, if that's what you're used to, and you put something in there that's not that, let's say a Timmy, and you put that in there, and you're trying to set that Timmy up to sound like a tube screamer. You may you may say, oh, I don't like this sound because it doesn't sound like a tube screamer. Uh, but that's kind of the deal. <laughs> that's kind of what the intention is. It's not, it's not supposed to sound like a tube screamer. It's supposed to sound like a Timmy. So, yeah, I mean, you that can happen. Um, and also playing style. Just the way you play. The more you practice playing guitar and practice licks and practice phrasings and all that sort of thing. I have this problem. A lot of the things I play, I tend to make sound very similar just because of the way I play. Uh, I try, I try not to, I try to really kind of vary things, but it's very easy for me to make things sound the same ish just because of, of playing the same stuff all the time. Uh, and lastly, Nathan asked how to decide if a pedal is better for rhythm or leads. You know, there's not, there's not a good way to really decide what this all goes back to opinion. What's a good pedal for leads for me is I like something a little more round. I like, uh, you know, a, a tumness at the end of things or, or Klon style circuit. And I, I like it giving it, giving whatever's coming into it, that sound uh, to really kind of boost the mids. Same thing with the Tube Screamer. I use both of those types of circuits to really influence the sound of my leads. I also, I do use them on rhythm as well, but I may have... I may have, um, I, I mean, I don't do this, but I could have just one set cleaner just to influence the sound of whatever drives I'm running into it. And then another one set up just as a drive pedal on its own because it, it does do drive, right? So you could do it that way. Uh, if Depending on what size pedal board I was using, I probably would. But if I'm just using a couple pedals, I don't, put, I don't worry about it too much. I, I'll probably throw an EQ in there, boost up around to 800 hertz, and just get it to just so it cuts through, um, in, in a band context. So uh, that's where I go. I, I mean, I I don't there's I don't really have a good way of deciding which pedal is better for rhythm or leads because it's, it's so dependent on what you, on what you like as a player. Um, let's see. We got man. We're almost thirty minutes into this already. Wow, this is quick, and I'm not even near halfway done with this. Um, Pete Walsh, Walsh asks, how do you see this affecting small manufacturers? Man, that's a good question, Pete. Um, I'm going to probably say something that a lot of folks don't want to hear. And that is that this whole, at least in America, the whole issue of shutting businesses down in order to get rid of this coronavirus, or at least, you know, kill this curve a little bit so it's easier to manage it's going to put a lot of companies out of business it really is there's just there's not that much money in making pedals believe it or not even though you may sell several million dollars worth of pedals a year you're not making them several million dollars in profit like it just doesn't work that way the margins aren't there and i I know that's hard to believe when people are selling 200 dollars guitar pedals but that's just the way it is. It's expensive to make uh, $200 guitar pedals. You're paying people 
a lot of money to make $200 guitar pedals. Well, the caveat is unless you're getting a product as absolutely the cheapest it could possibly be and you're cutting every corner possible and you know maybe you have i don't know let's say you get pedals built as cheap as you can from wherever you can in the world and those pedals cost you five bucks a piece and i'm arbitrary number and then you market it to everyone like oh these are the best pedals in the world you know however you want to market that and you charge three or four hundred dollars a piece for them and for some odd reason people think that that was uh those pedals are magical and they sound better than everything else and so now you have every store imaginable that are trying to buy those pedals from you and sell to customers well then yeah you can make some good money i mean you know it's it's not unfathomable it's possible but most of the companies that I know don't do things that way. We just don't. So, I mean, overall, I think that's how it's going to affect small manufacturers. I think that there's going to be companies that go out of business. I think there's going to be companies that change what they're doing. I, mean, I know there's already a lot of music stores that have gone out of business. A ton of them that have j just, we can't keep the doors open. We can't keep the lights on. Can't afford to pay employees for this amount of time. Because it's the music business. There's not that much. It's not the insurance business. It's not the pharmaceutical business. There's not that much money in the music business. Believe it or not, unless you're, you know, Taylor Swift or something, you're not making that much. So all that sort of trickles down. Um, I think there will be companies that kind of change their model and rather than trying to sell through, you know, all the guitar centers and Sam Ashes and, and Sweetwaters and et cetera, I think there'll be companies that go for more of a direct model and try to market what they call direct-to-consumer or B2C, um, business to customer, rather than B2B, which is business to business. I think that is something that will probably be more prevalent in the future, especially after this. But, you know, it's this is an unprecedented time. Um President, not not precedented time. Um, right now, I'm I'm just guessing, and from talking to other people in the industry that are you know the own businesses of some sort that we are connected with, that's what I'm seeing. It's a lot of people are really struggling right now. So it's very interesting. Not sure. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, we have Nate Montover who asked more of a DIY question. He, he would like to, it's more of a video project. I think a breadboard project point by point without using my spice diagrams and, and software so that someone can follow along with a video and have a completed project. Basically say, here's the parts you need. We're going to build a, uh, you know, a tube screamer together. Here's how you do it. Step-by-step -step process. Maybe that might be a good idea. I think that's probably, there's a lot of work that would go into making that happen. That's probably better suited for um, a, a longer video or maybe even a product that has some sort of video attached to it because that's, that's more along the lines of, um, there's, a lot of there's a lot of moving parts in that. It's going to take a lot of support. It's going to take getting everything together to create some sort of bundle of products that 
people can buy in order to follow along with you. Because let's be honest, most people, most guitar players aren't sitting at home staring at resistors, capacitors, and a breadboard, right? We're just not. So it would take, it would take, uh, take some logistics planning going on there. Uh, let's see. Rick Calhoun, I'm skipping around a little bit because we're just about done here. Rick Calhoun asks, how about the importance of guitar picks? What picks do you prefer and why? Uh, differences in tone when comparing, in other words, what are the differences in tone when comparing the different materials used? Rick, again, this is one of those areas I, areas I don't really have that much knowledge in. Me personally, what do I use? I'm staring at one right here. I don't even know what it is. It's, I know it's a Dunlop. It's a Dunlop Sure Grip, I believe. I, and I like it not because of the sound, because my hands get really sweaty and I don't drop them as much. We do make Wampler picks as well. Um, most we don't think we saw them. I think we just give them away at shows and stuff. But um, they, I think they are made by Dunlop as well, but they're not these Sure Grips. Uh, generally, I just buy these Sure Grips because... I, they don't. They don't lose them. I don't. They don't slip out of my hand. But I do lose them. Believe it or not, I've got a ton of them because I do lose them all over the place. But um, I just. I like these sure grips. Sound wise, I mean, I'm. I'm sure some people will argue that different materials sound different. And yes, I can hear that. There's. There's. I've used like stone picks and stuff before, and I hear it. I just. I'm not really into it, to be honest with you. I'm. I'm not worried about that that much. So I. I can't really. I can't really offer any advice there because it's just, it's not my thing, man. It's kind of like asking me, um, you know, what my favorite vegetarian meal is. Uh, not my thing. Can't give you any advice there. Sorry about that, Rick. Uh, let's see if we have one more before we go. Okay, last last question from Tom Kelly. He says, will, will we be seeing any more chasing guitar tone videos on the YouTube channel or on Facebook, really? You know, Tom... I had a lot of fun doing those. I would love to do more of them, but I don't think it's going to happen. Um, multiple reasons. So one, the YouTube algorithm really does not like whenever you take copyrighted material in any way, even if you're dissecting it and using it for a, a, a teachable moment in, in, of any sort. Um, they just don't like it. They flag you. They stop people from seeing the video. It's just, it's not good on YouTube and, and sort of the same thing on Facebook. It, there's liability there for the company that for Facebook, for YouTube. And, uh, so probably not. I, even though I would like to, I know others like Rick Beato, I think he's still doing those. Uh, he breaks them down differently than what I did. I was kind of going more for the tone and Rick really breaks down everything in, and I love his videos. He does it in a, a great way, but he's breaking everything down chords uh, tones a bit but really like thought processes behind uh the song and the parts and everything so i love what i love how rick does it but i probably won't do any more just simply because of the 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 gating done by the youtube and facebook for it so all right so that's uh that's the show for today i know it was a little bit different it's it's each week is probably going to be a little bit different because things are a little wacky right now as they probably are with you. Um, yeah. So I'm sorry about that. Uh, again, uh, not again, but to, to follow up on, I think it was last week, maybe two weeks ago, I'd mentioned that I was working on 
a, uh, a, a insider circle type of just an insider group for those who are trying to um, really maybe do something with their creative passion. So maybe it's for, for a lot of uh, the people listening to this podcast and a lot of people that follow Wampa Pedals, it's going to be more like, how do I take the music I've been making and do something with it? Or how do I start my pedal business and do something with it or amp or guitar or pickup or whatever? Um, it's going to be along those lines. It's also going to be tailored towards those outside of music. So, I mean, it, an example of that would be, for example, something my wife does. My wife, uh, who's actually making masks right now, we're donating a bunch of masks to ha- uh, hospitals in Indiana, thousands of them been making masks like crazy. But one of the things she does, she makes superhero capes. And um, she's just, the whole marketing thing, and, and I know that's kind of a dirty word, the whole marketing thing really kind of, she doesn't like it. She doesn't really understand it. And when you when you read things about it online, it just kind of just doesn't. It's not like a easy step by step guide, and there's not really that many people you can say, "Well, how do I set up my Facebook?" I did set up my Facebook page, but how do I get people to actually look at my Facebook page? So, anyways, we're setting up a group to really help a lot of people who are creative and who who are trying to do something on the side, and just trying to help grow. Uh, that that whole base. So if you know someone that might be interested, just shoot me an email, uh, podcast at wamplerpedals.com or shoot me a message on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I guess you can Twitter, even though I don't really get on Twitter that much. Probably should, but not a big fan of it. Um, but just let me know and I'll put you on the list. We're, um, I'm actually building that out right now. So probably another week or two and it'll be ready to to sign up some people. I'm just taking a very limited amount of people too because it's really going to be one-on-one coaching and um, I, I just can't handle you know, a thousand people at <laughs> one time. So we're gonna, we'll do it like a limited class up front. But I want to get it all built in first so, so there's plenty of value for people. Uh, but anyways, that's all for this week. Thank you for listening to the Chasing Tone podcast. Like I said, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, you can email me at podcast at wamplerpedals.com. If you like the podcast, simply share it with someone. In fact, uh, that's the best way to show your support for the show. Just share it with someone that you think might like it. Um, and yeah, let's get as many people listening as we can. So thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week with a new one.